Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. This episode of Disability After Dark is brought to you in part by La Petite More. La Petite More is a Hamilton, Ontario, Canada-based sex toy company operated by Haroon Sperling. A 1NB operation, they are committed to body safety, body positivity, and a gender-neutral approach to their toys. Head to petitemore.ca to check them out and be sure to use coupon code AFTERDARK for free shipping at checkout. Petitemore.ca, adult, queer, safe. Hey there, thank you for coming back to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I am your professionally queer cripple, Andrew Gerza, and I'm excited that you want to talk to me about sex and disability today. So, let's get right to the show. For this episode, I talked to somebody that I have been following now for about a year and a half. Her name is Joellen Naughty, and she works in sex and mental health, talking about sexuality and depression. She's somebody that I really wanted to talk to because I think there are big linkages and big crossover between sexuality, disability, and depression. And I wanted to, and I have, I have talked briefly about that. Actually, I did a whole episode on that last year. If you go back into the Disability After Dark catalog and you listen to episode eight, why we need to talk about sex, disability, and depression or, or disability sex and being queer. I can't remember what the title was, but it was all about that. So if you go back in the catalog, you can hear me talk about it from my experience. But I wanted to bring Joellen into the into the equation because she is very well known in this field and she's somebody who could enlighten us more on the linkages and the crossover between sex, disability and depression. So let me tell you all about her right now. I was going to just straight up read you her bio and be super professional about it, but newsflash, I really hate reading bios because then it sounds like I'm reading. So I'm going to go through her bio and give you the highlights of what she does. Joellen Naughty is a writer, speaker, and researcher and mental health advocate. She has spent the last three years exploring the impact of depression on sex and relationships. She's written about mental health and sex and how none of us are broken on her award-winning site, The Redhead Bedhead. She's led workshops on sexual communication, navigating consent, having casual sex kindly, which is so very important, and she's also talked and written about dating as an introvert, which for me is super, is super, like, relevant because I believe that I'm an extroverted introvert for sure. She's toured sex shops, spoken at length on dildos, and even started a sex school but she's happiest and most effective when writing and speaking on behalf of quiet people who have sex. She's done a bunch of videos and attended a bunch of, con- of conferences. And her extensive writing on sex and depression has been featured in a lot of places. She's been on every popular sex podcast 
that's out there right now, and I'm so excited to have her. So without further ado, here's my interview with Joellen Naughty right now on Disability After Dark. Just a brief production note before we go any further. When we were recording this, there may have been some weird overlap between what I say and what she says. And we looked into it and I looked into it and tried to re-edit. I spent a couple hours trying to re-edit it with my lack of editing skills. And it didn't seem to work. So there may be a few points throughout the episode where you hear us either talking over each other or it sounds like one of us is not responding. Or we may have responded to a question before they asked the question. So I don't know why that happened. Just just be aware of that. And I'll try to make sure for our next interview that that doesn't happen. But just that's just a brief production note. And now we'll get to the interview with Joellen Nati right now, for real this time, on Disability After Dark. Joellen Naughty, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. We've You and I have been talking about doing this now, literally, for... I looked at our email chain today. We've been talking about doing this for a year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> for both of us, life just happened, and when things just, just, you know, things happen. But I'm so glad you're here, um, because you talk about something that I kind of around the same, not not the same stuff that I talk about, but I talk about the emotionality of sexuality and disability all the time. And you talk about something kind of similar. So I kind of told the audience before we started talking what you talk about. Why don't you let us, why don't you fill us in on that? So I talk about sex and depression, which um, I, I always joke, it's like I, I got into sex writing and then found like the least sexy thing I could choose to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think I thought I was going to be a sex writer and my life was just going to be like sexy from then on. And I forgot that I had a history of depression and depression doesn't listen when you tell it that you're just going to be sexy and fun from now on. And right. so depression came back and, um, it's almost like I didn't have a choice. This, this is what comes with my life, and I may as well use it to help other people. I think that's so great. Like, I, like I've, I did my research on you before we, before we, like when we finally agreed to do it. I was like, okay, I better do some research to like, to to brush up on, on Joellen. And I've seen the stuff you've done, and it's so. You're like you're one of the very few people that is taking on, se- uh, sexuality and depression out there like there's there there are people that talk about it kind of on the cuff but you're like but your work is so direct and it's like this is what it is this is how it feels this is what happens and this is my experience and it's so direct and I don't I don't think we get enough of that and so I'm really excited that you would be willing to share all that with an audience and to talk about that stuff it's been really exciting for me to do I always joke that it like happened accidentally like I um, had an experience with antidepressants when I first started my my website. And, you know, when you're a brand new sex blogger, you want to talk about every sexual thing that's happening in your life all the time with no filter. Yeah. And so yep. I very like openly was like, these antidepressants made me not able to have an orgasm. I'm going to talk about it. And that was when I got my first like emails and messages from readers and I first realized anybody besides my mom was reading. And, and, and that kind of, you know, I didn't really circle back to it for another year or so, but that was kind of like how the seeds were planted for this whole thing. Isn't that kind of funny how like when, cause when I started writing too, I was like, no one's going to read this. I'm just going to put it out there and it'll be fine. And then people would respond and be like, you know, your writing, your writing is either really great and thank you for sharing your your views on sex and disability, or, or they'd write and say like, I'm, oh my god, I can't believe you wrote that. Why would you put that out there? <laughs> and it's always so shocking when somebody reads it. Period. Because then you have to sit and go, oh, you took the time to respond. What do I do now? I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, it's you know when we we like I live my life behind a computer. So it's easy to pretend I'm just, you know, doing it like Dear Diary style. So 
when it hits other people and they write back, then then I have to look at, well, what does that mean? And what's my responsibility with that? And it felt like this came with a responsibility to use whatever platform I had, which at the beginning was not much, to help people with whatever they needed. And it became clear kind of quickly that what people needed was to feel heard. Yeah. 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 And I think there are big parallels between depression and disability. I mean, there are huge overlaps between depression and disability. I did a podcast episode last year now, one of the first ones of this one, where I talk about queerness, uh, disability, and depression, and basically how like it, how depression and disability look different when you are, how yeah, how depression and queerness look different when you are disabled. Um, and so, I mean, that's the only thing that I've ever really that I've ever really kind of, I wrote a piece on it and then I did a podcast from that piece. But it just, it's interesting how quickly that piece, people were like, well, yeah, I feel the same way. And so how do you feel about being somebody who is, like me talking about depression as a disabled person, I feel like, especially depression, disability, and sexuality, for me, I feel sometimes, be, and I'm going off on like five tangents here, sorry, I just have so much I want to like, <laughs> talk to you about um (laughs) so i feel like as a disabled person who's sexually active i'm not allowed to be depressed about the sex i'm having i have to be like yeah i'm gonna have sex it'll be great and i'm disabled and i'm gonna own my sexuality yeah yeah but there are many points in my experience where sex and disability the intersection can be really fucking depressing um how have you or have you is a better question have you navigated um sex and depression in a in a way that's positive or you do you just deal with it in a way that is realistic for you so a, a lot of my work actually centers around this idea this is actually a big common ground i found with the people who are writing about sex and disability and myself it's like some of the big points we're making are like yes we as a people have sex and <laughs> A lot of us feel like we're supposed to feel really grateful that we're having that sex. Yeah. As opposed to just like, yeah, we're having sex and it's fun. Or, you know, we struggle with the feeling really terrible about ourselves and having sex. And there's all these, these pieces and these components that come with it that make it really complicated and living in, you know, what I always call the sex positive bubble. Yeah, that can so frequently be a place of people being like, "Woo, let's get naked and talk about butts." It's hard because, you know, I know as a as a person who goes through you know intermittent bouts of terribly dark depression, <laughs> even my most even my most positive sex positivity is like. You know, let's ease into this because I still kind of hate myself. Yeah, I feel... And I want to embrace having sex. I feel that way pretty much every time I have sex. Even if I'm I'm enjoying myself, I'm like, let's... Okay, let's mess around. But just so you know, I kind of don't like myself today. (laughs) Like, or I'm scared of, like... That you're gonna leave, or I'm scared that it's that you're gonna be afraid of my disability, or I'm afraid of my disability being with you. Like, so I think there is a huge parallel between like depression, sex, and disability. Because, and as I said to you, I think in our email chain the other day, I was like, I want to talk about how you can be depressed, disabled, and having sex at the same time. Do you feel that way with your depression? Do you? Well, actually, before we get into that, I want to ask you, do you think that depression is classified as a disability? Oh, this is a hard one for me um, because it, it comes up a lot. And um, I think I told you in that thread that at a conference this year, somebody came up to me and we were in like a, a little circle of us were talking and they referred to me as one of the disabled writers. And And I had a moment where I was like, do we use that term for me? I don't quite feel like I like get to use that term. That doesn't. But I, 
I also know that, you know, I've, I've lost at this point years of productivity to depression and, you know, the ability to function. And I, I, I have this, I don't know. My response is like, well, what are we saying is the disability? Because I don't somebody, know. Somebody, <laughs> right. But somebody could say, and what I kind of think about it is, especially in the way our economy, both both Canada and the U.S. economy is going, if you need to use the term disability to get the meds you need to, mm-hmm. like, survive, fucking be disabled. Go ahead and, like, fly that flag. Because... I know when you are in Canada, when you when you are when you say you're disabled, you can apply for more supports. Um, so, I I mean I I am very physically disabled and very notably disabled, but I think that when it comes to terminology, if you have to use it, use it. And I also think that depression could be I don't know I don't know technically if it is considered this, but I would consider it an invisible disability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I just so hey everybody, let's get to know me really well. In the last month, I actually emerged from the um the the worst depressive episode I've ever had. Um they seem to be getting worse as I get older. Thank you, Relentless March of Time. Awesome, um right, yep. <laughs> right? Um and you know, in the past, they've been like, I can't motivate myself to work, and I'm really tired all the time. And this one was, I, I I can't move. I can't talk to people. I can't buy food. I can't wash. Like, we got to the point where my mother was using Amazon Prime to send me groceries to make sure I, I ate. Yeah. And that was a moment where it clicked for me. And... I, I thought, oh, okay, so this is this is what, what we mean when we talk about depression as a disability. Yeah, like the stuff you're describing is because I can't watch myself. Anyway, as a, as mm-hmm. a disabled man, I have somebody who does that for me. I can't always go out and get groceries. Sometimes I can't move. Sometimes, mm-hmm. not necessarily because of my disability, but sometimes I don't want to talk to people either. Um Mm-hmm. So I think I think there are huge parallels. How I'm curious, how did that depressive episode did it affect your sex life? Does like when you become depressed, do you stop? Like are you like, okay, I'm not gonna be sexual now or I can't be sexual now? Does it inhibit your ability to to like be a sexual being? This particular one uh kind of obliterated my sex life. There was um some medication bouncing around and um for me my entire body changed. Uh the medication bouncing around brought about a huge weight gain. The the huge weight gain brought about some physical pain uh because I also have um my my spine is I guess deteriorating. Every couple of years I basically lose another disc. And so I'd like spend six months or so, like not able to walk. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, so I was in physical pain and none of my clothes fit and I was really unhappy and I wasn't moving and basically just hated everything. So sex just stopped even existing in my mind. So this one sex went away. My last depressive episode in 2014, my sex life kept going. Okay. Can can we talk about that for a minute? Like I'm because, because I have been not clinically depressed, but I I have been what I refer to as situationally depressed because of like disability and like basically dealing with ableism makes me super depressed a lot of the time. Um, And dealing with people's ridiculous comments about disability and like their inability to, see me as somebody who's fuckable makes me super annoyed. Um, so I get, I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay home and be, and watch Netflix and be alone. So it's definitely not the same thing, but I understand like, but I still, even though I have those moments, I still want to fuck or I, like, I still want to be, I still want that, that attention from somebody. Um, so I'm, I'm curious for you when you had this, this, second to last depressive episode how did your you, and you said your sex life kept going like how like i'm just walk me through that 
Like, what is what did that mean? Did that mean you felt like crap, but you were like, oh, I still want to get laid? Like, what? Well, so I am incredibly fortunate. I have wonderful partners who I love and who somehow, even though I've been with them for good God years at this point, um, the sex remains compelling. Awesome. Um, awesome. And yeah. <laughs> and the one who I've been with for um, the longer time, I guess it'll, it's almost four years now. He and I were still in our like first year together at that point. And I think it was just that we were still having that, like we, our relationship is new and we're having all the sex. And so I think I just didn't really, I didn't want to let go of that, like, new relationship exciting sex. I think if I was single and I had to go find sex, that would not have happened. Right. And I mean, that's where I am right now. I'm not, I, I'm not seeing anybody. Um, and because being a queer, for me, being a queer man, sex is so expected when you deal with other queer men. It's, there's such a high expectation to like, okay, whip out your junk and just mess around. And so when you can't access that, that depression really, really hits, hits hard. Yeah. Yeah. I always joke that I am, I feel like I've started like five sentences with the phrase, I always joke, but um, it, it is how I relate to a lot of my sex stuff. Um, I frequently talk about how I moved to Portland and feel like I was a massive letdown to the sex positive community here because I was this sex positive sex writer. And there's a lot of active like sex party stuff going on here. And there was, it felt like it came with this expectation that as sex positive sex writer, I would be showing up to the parties and looking forward to having sex with everybody. And you know, between the depression and just who I am, I, I'm i much more about staying home with my dog and watching Netflix. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, both of my partners live at least 200 miles away from me. So, you know, I go visit them and otherwise I'm at home. Yep. And I think that, that expectation thing was brutal, too, for a while because I felt like I was failing as, you know, sexy, sex-positive writer. Well, I mean, it parallels also disability in that, like, if you can't go to the club where the sex – if you can't access the club where the sex party is happening, what do you do? And we'd all like – we, we mm. all like to think in this – in our sex-positive discussions. And I'm, I'm going to get to my feelings on the word sex-positive in a minute because it makes me want to borrow yeah. sometimes. There's, yeah. yep. So, um, <laughs> but when we when we get into we think uh, when we think of if we're not at the sex club fucking somebody we think that we're on the apps or on the internet fucking or we're on you know cams doing shows for people like, that's what people think sex positive people are doing all the time when really when we're not working and talking about sex we're sitting at home being like yeah I'm just gonna watch. Just going to hang out and watch some like Netflix and watch some Stranger Things too. Like, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been working my way through the original um, Will and Grace series because that's just how cool yeah, no, I am. I did that. And like, I, I'm on the new, I'm on the, I'm, I'm up to date with the new, the new, uh, the new ones. And um, mm -hmm. they're, 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 they still have some work to do. They're still a bit weirdly homophobic, but. They're trying yeah. really hard to not be this, which I like. <laughs> yeah, but yes, the term sex positive. Let, yeah, let, let, so let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. that. Look, I feel that the term sex positive is not realistic at all. Like you said earlier, it's like living in a bubble, and that's just not what I want to do. I think we need to retire the term sex positive and use – I would use the term – I'm going to make it up right here on the spot. I would use the term – Sex realism, because oh. I, don't, I just totally made it up. It's not. I don't know if it's a real <laughs> term. I'm just using it off the off the top of my head here. But I think there's some value in being like, you know what? I don't feel positive about my sex today, but I still want to have it. Mm. Or like, and as a disabled person, I never feel positive about the sex that I have, even when the sex is great. I'm like, I feel like shit about this because, like, I was saying to you in the email. 
thread we had the other day. Like, there are moments where I'm in bed with the partner and we're in the middle of something and I'm like, I'm depressed. This feels weird. And I kind of just want to cry. And it's not that I'm not enjoying myself. It's that I'm worried about at what point my disability is going to get in the way of everything that's happening right now. Yeah, I, um, so I'm working on my book right now. And in order to kind of push me forward, I'm using a writing coach for that. And she looked at a part where I talk about how it's hard to exist as a person with depression in a world where there's all this sex positivity that doesn't leave room for experiences around sex that aren't positive or feelings about sex that aren't positive. And it's all like, yay, woo, sex. And when she sent me notes on that chapter, she circled that part and said, you need to crack this open more because I, and I think a lot of other people, thought that that, the woo, yay, sex, was what sex positivity was yeah, supposed to be. Yeah, that's what everybody thinks sex positive. Like, that's what I, th- I, I wrote a, a book chapter. I don't know if you've worked with them, but I was contacted a few months ago by some people whose names I can't remember right now, but they're writing a book on sex positivity, and they asked me to include disability and i said great can i talk about how sex positivity doesn't include disability and they went yeah that's a great idea so i wrote a whole chapter for this book about how being sex positive doesn't allow you to be different it means that if you're a white cisgendered person who who is well to do and wants to talk about sex and is okay with like maybe somebody being bi or queer or gay then you're then you're sex positive. But if you are anybody who falls within intersections of that or away from that, then then you are no longer welcome into these spaces. And so I just talk about how if you're a disabled person, sex positivity is not for you. <laughs> like it just doesn't yes. it doesn't fly. Yeah. Also, those people are probably super okay with um, actually super expectant of bisexual women. And not all that great with bisexual men. This is what I've discovered, at least in my sex-positive world. There's these, all these weird double standards and all these expectations and all these, all this performative yeah. sex. Um, I have. Well, yeah. speaking of performative sex, I, 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 you just said that I was like, oh, I have an idea about that. So I'm going to ask the question. <laughs> so when you are depressed and you, when you feel depressed, do you feel an expectation on yourself? to be more performative in the sex you're having, to mask the fact that you're depressed. Because as a disabled person, when I'm having when I am depressed about disability during the sex, I will perform sex more than actually have it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um so these days no. And again I think that's that's down to you know the work I do and being super comfortable with my partners. But I know there has been a time in my life. um, (laughs) There was one time when I convinced myself I was not going through a depressive episode. It was the year after my father died. And I thought I was just doing super great. And I was sleeping with like half of Boston. And um, yeah. And I had this whole like super hot girl who picks up guys on OkCupid all the time thing going on and I think the whole thing was a giant performance. It probably was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like tonight playing the role of, you know, super self-satisfied slutty girl is Joellen and yeah. I mean, <laughs> but like so are you at a place now where your depression something you how do I ask this tactfully? Is it something that you, where you feel like your depression is kind of like your buddy like okay you're here let's like let's go through this together or is it like fuck you i wish you were not around like how do you how do you navigate because with my disability and i've talked about this a lot on the podcast and in my writing my disability is always going to be there even if i don't want it to be i don't have a choice it's not gonna it's not gonna leave me um so do you feel like you can keep you the depression at bay or is it something where you're like okay just come on in we'll just deal with this um, do you remember a television show called Dexter? I do. I actually, I'm looking at my brother painted a picture of Dexter, which is staring at me right now in my apartment. So yes, I do. 
I have co-opted a piece of language that that show used um, to to kind of explain my relationship with my depression because um, the Dexter character, you know, he had this relationship with his desire to kill people. For those who aren't familiar, Dexter was a serial killer and he didn't want to be, but this desire to kill would crop up like every couple of months. And he had kind of learned to, to live with it, to navigate it. He didn't like it, but it was, it was part of him. And he called it his dark passenger. And um, I watched a whole bunch of that show um, kind of right up until it stopped being so, so like, good. Um, during a de- yeah, yeah. When the weird stuff started happening with the sister. Um, so I watched it during a depressive episode and that piece of language just grabbed me. And it, it really fit well for me because I can feel it when an episode is starting and I can try and fight it. And um, partially due to horrible mental health care access and partially due to the nature of the beast, frequently that's not super successful. And so I just have to like know that it's, it's going to be there and I have to figure out how to live with it and how to navigate it. And so I, I've been calling my depression my dark passenger. I like that. That's, well, I like that because it's a little bit sexy. It's a little bit like it's not. It's not <laughs> like you're playing. Like, and I like that because you're playing with it in a way that is that is that is very close to you. And it's, I think that you could be be with a partner and say, "Oh, I'm ha- oh, sorry, dark passenger is here. We gotta like slow down a little bit." Like, it could be something you could talk about in a way that isn't. Oh, I'm depressed. Because the minute here, the minute people think you're depressed, what do they say? Oh, I'll just snap out of it. It's all right. Like, don't worry about it. We'll just do this and you'll be fine. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. That's the mood. I'm talking about something completely different. Yeah, I like it because it it specifies that the depression and me are not the the same. We are we are yeah. we are separate from each other. And one of my partners sent me a message a couple weeks ago. Um, he was. I don't know. He was encouraging me with something with my work. And he um, he said, you know, your work is valuable and, and useful and you're doing a great job. And he ended it with no matter what the dark passenger tells you. And that's okay. that just that's hit okay. me in all I mean, that hit me in all the feels just hearing that. It means that he yeah. understood. And I think so rarely, like, the parallel between that and disability is that, like, is that I haven't, I mean, I use words like queer cripple and things to, to denote myself, but I haven't found a language yet to discuss kind of disability depression that is brought on by the fact that disability sometimes sucks and it's really hard and it's really tough to navigate that stuff when you don't have a language for it. So if anybody wants to come up with... <laughs> terminology for (laughs) sex, disability, and depression all in one. Let's talk about that. I think you've got your, like, reader contest here. Just, like, have have people send them in. (laughs) So, tell me more about, um, just tell me more about your experience with, like, depression and sex, and I want to, I just want to see if there's, from listening, if there's any, like, linkages to disability that we can talk about. Oh wow! Oh, I have so many. Like, I feel like I have so many exciting things to talk about. Um, (laughs) Well, so as I've been researching this book over the last four years, between surveys and interviews and um, (laughs) this this interesting hybrid thing I've started doing, where I send out essay questions so I can interview people without having to make them show up for appointments because my people, the depressed, are not terribly my great at showing too, up for appointments. Like, um, <laughs> I totally get that. Yep. Yeah. Right? Right? Um, I've, I've talked to um, about 1,300 people. And what I've found that I feel like is kind of another like parallel thing is this, this idea that people come up against that 
how do I how do I put this? A lot of the, the, the responses I got involved people reaching out for help, people asking for the thing they needed, and people not being listened to and or believed about the experience they were having. Rather it be medical medications, whether it be a physical thing, whether it be an emotional experience, and it would be with doctors, it would be with partners, it would be just anybody who hadn't experienced the thing they were experiencing, yeah. dismissing it as not real. I get that a lot. And that yeah. w- immediately, the minute you said that, I was like, oh, disability parallel. I get that a lot with uh, <laughs> when I explain to people that somebody, somebody was being ableist to me in bed. Or they said something ridiculous to me in bed, and I'll tell the story, and they'll go, oh, no, they probably didn't mean it that way. They just meant, you know, like this. And it's like, no, you're dismissing what I'm telling you really happened, and now I have I have to deal with that on my own now and feel like shit about it because you don't believe me. Yeah, it's people um, don't... <laughs> When I'm feeling generous, I will say that people want to believe the best of others. And so when you try and explain the um, resistance you come up against and, you know, the ways people are shitty about what you're dealing with, people will try and explain them away. When I'm feeling not generous, I will say that that people lack the empathy to understand experiences that haven't happened to them directly. I'm curious, just because so much of your work centers around depression, like how have you turned it into such a into such a, a a lucrative thing for yourself? Like I again, looking at your website, you have so much stuff and you've been on like every cool podcast, one included, obviously. But obviously, you've obviously. Been on every, like you've been everywhere and like you're Twitter verified, which to me means you're basically a god because I I because I still can't get that to happen. <laughs> so, like, how, like, when I think of depression, I'm not, like, I don't think it's sexy. So when you bring it out, like, when you go do lectures or talks, like, and you say, okay, we're going to talk about depression. How do people, how are people going to be like, yeah, that's, that's I'm going to sit for that for an hour. Sure, we'll talk about that. You know, I, I, I always say my, my career has been, a series of um, trying things to see if they worked. By the way, that's how I got Twitter verified. I happened to find out that they had opened the applications like two days after they did it, and I tried it to see if it would work, and it just happened to work. But um, I, I would try things to see if they would work, and then I had a couple of like really lucky breaks. And I think, and frankly, a really supportive community. I think part of what makes people show up when I when I speak, because our community has been incredible about showing up when I speak at conferences. It's been like, I just feel so honored and, and supported in that. But I think it's that I speak about something that affects yeah. so many people and that so many people have felt they couldn't talk about and that there wasn't a space where somebody was talking about it. And the funny thing about that is the very first time I submitted a session to a conference and um, to talk about sex and depression, they uh, rejected it and said that it was not a sexy enough topic (laughs) for a sex conference. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that is hilarious to me because um, Stephen Biggs, um, who was in Toronto, actually... Tell me something good uh, monthly show that happens here in Toronto. We see each other every now and then. He's and he's awesome. He's great. He is amazing. I I adore Stephen. Um, he and I have now done. I want to say four appearances together, and every time we do it, the room is full. And I think it's just that people really, really want to hear and be heard about the rooms that i speak in they're not full yet but i'm trying to i'm trying to teach myself that they don't have to be full if you reach one person and you you i mean this this is going to sound really like Mm -hmm. 1980s after school special corny but i'm going to say it anyway 
if I can reach one person about sex and disability <laughs> and change their viewpoint, then I've done my job. But I, I have, I did reach a weird point when I was doing, um, when I was doing talks a few times where I would look around the room and be like, "There's only seven, you know, seven or eight people here. Why am I doing this?" And then I'd, I'd have to check myself and be like, "No, they're here for you. Do it anyway." It doesn't like it doesn't mm-hmm. mean you need to fill the room. Well, and that always blows my mind at conferences too, because the entire time I've been in this field, I've been going to sessions at conferences on sex and disability, and I'm always amazed that they are not more populated. Because, well, one, I feel like the, I feel like it's a topic that affects. Way yeah. more of us than are in the rooms. Um, and two, even the people who aren't affected by disabilities, I mean, I mean, like, I'm going to say, I'm going to sound school marmy right now, but like, don't you want to learn how to well, better navigate this? Like, don't you want to not be ableist? I mean, I think don't you want to know these things? I think it's funny that we talk about, about that because I think. <laughs> You do want to know these things because in five or ten years when disability inevitably happens to you, because it will, because that's how life works, mm-hmm. you're going to need to know how to do all of this. And if I could, like, maybe one of my talks should be what to do when you become disabled. <laughs> how to fuck when you become disabled because you will. Yeah. Like, maybe that's actually, <laughs> I just had a light bulb moment in my head. That's a, <laughs> that's a topic idea I'm right just there. Saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned earlier, my sp- you know, I have this thing with my spine and I feel like every 5 to 7 years I am a tourist in in the world I'm, of physical disability because okay. I lose Explain, the ability to walk. And feel free to share as much or as little of this experience as you want. So when you're when the disc comes out, what so you <laughs> So it's um this actually happens to most people at some point over the over the course of their lives like they have um their di- discs extrude like a like a donut squirting out its filling right um mine just get really dramatic about it okay um and <laughs> um and the first time it happened I was like training to be a yoga teacher and I was really intense about like not wanting surgery and I was going to heal it myself. And so I let it go on for about two years and I started losing feeling in my right leg. And the whole time I was just in agonizing pain and couldn't walk and, and it just went on and on forever. And, um, and I never really recovered all of the the muscle in that leg. And it, it was a whole thing. Then it happened again in early 2015, um, and I recognized what it was right away. And my doctor um, was much more um, proactive, and she contacted me as soon as he saw my MRI. And she said, okay, this is, this is no joke. I was supposed to, I remember I was supposed to drive down to Eugene, Oregon to teach a class. And she said, nope, no driving, limited walking. I, I want you in bed until we schedule your surgery because if if you mess with this, you're going to lose mobility. And that point, it was my left leg. And um, because um, because I work with neurosurgeons on on it, I have a neurosurgeon who's in charge of my spine, and um, I, I have a small tumor in my brain. It really sounds like there's a lot of things wrong with me, but I swear, I like how, like, it, it's, it's fine. Like, there's a small tumor in my brain. <laughs> um it, it took it took like six months to to get the surgery so i i spent that like winter through spring with like a rotation of people coming to walk my jog and 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 i wasn't moving and you know it, it was what it was but during those times i i well, I, I can't walk and I can't do the things I'm used to doing and I can't take care of myself. And it's this big change. And it makes me realize what a privilege it is to normally be able to do those things and how much I take them for granted in my day to day life. I also appreciate that 
I appreciate that that experience is giving you a glimpse of another part of like reality for yourself. Um, but I can't like I can't imagine how scary that is to go from one level of ability to another level of ability. I, I feel like at this point, like you just said, I, I mentioned the, the brain tumor nonchalantly. At, at this point, though, I feel like I'm just like, ho-hum, oh, disc is gone again. <laughs> I guess we're not going to walk. All right. As I get older, I, I just try and um, keep... keep um, like I wasn't taking care of myself while I while the depressive episode was happening. I was just laying on my couch watching forensics files, forensic. and so when it ended, I yeah, I, I watched lots of serial. You know, killer you should listen to when, when you're depressed. I'm that depressed. is really funny uh, and also will feed that weird thing you like to do. <laughs> you should listen to uh, the My Favorite Murder podcast. It's <laughs> currently, my favorite podcast ever. It's just two women talking about. Talking about murder for an hour, it's great. You think I didn't just frantically reach for a pen? You are wrong. I just started listening to it. They're like, (laughs) they're like two, they're like a year and a half in, and I had heard about it, but I never put it on, and I just put it on, and I'm now 20 episodes in after a day and a half, and I'm like, this is the greatest show. (laughs) It's the greatest show ever because they don't, they're not, they don't know anything about murder. And we're going off on a huge tangent, listeners. Sorry, if you want to fast forward through this part, go ahead. They don't know anything about murder, (laughs) but they love talking about it. And it's the funniest show I've ever listened to. So good. That's amazing. That's amazing. But yes, I do think um, empathy is is a huge hole that we have in being able to handle people's experiences, be it with disability be it with depression and i it's it's weird to say i'm grateful for my spine not working periodically but i do think that it has helped me develop a bit more empathy yeah in in that way i mean if that makes any sense it sounds yeah really weird when we talk about how disability and and life experiences like that can change us and make us like quote unquote better people because it sounds it sounds like it's it's like it sounds like you could easily slide into ableism but that's not what we mean it just means that it forces you to transform um speaking on transforming do you think your depression or being a depressed person and and understanding kind of the 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 like the like swing of emotions and or the swing of not doing anything that you can experience when a depressive episode hits do you think knowing all of this has affected your outlook on sex yes actually um i think i think it has prevented me from being the insufferable quote-unquote sex positive person right because i was when I was younger, I always felt like I was on the outside of sex stuff, right? Like I didn't understand it. I wasn't cool enough to be a part of it. I wasn't sexy, whatever. So then I became a sex writer and I think I would have been somebody who was in serious danger of being the like stand up on a table in the middle of a crowded room and, you know, talk about all the sexy stuff really loud and, you know, all the all the yeah. bad sex positive stereotypes and i think doing this work forced me to be aware of how much of a, how much yeah and how much of a fallacy we're all at that different is, how places much of a, a mythology sex and i i did it for a long time too my first if, if you go back in my catalog the first couple articles that i wrote were about how amazing sex and disability is and how it's the best sex you'll ever have and how everybody should sleep with a disabled person because it's the best and now i now i do that and I, i'll talk about that in a ironic sort of jokey way but i was pandering to like the sex positive community and now 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 i'm much more comfortably jaded i think i would say in how I view sexuality and disability and my responsibility to the work is so much more 
I think it's it's tinged with a with a realism that's a bit dark, and I love that part of it. But I love that I've reached a point five years, like you know, five years in, where I can kind of um, divest myself of all that positivity and just be like, no, this is what it is. Yeah, I think that you know, I was I was. Lucky feels like the wrong word, but um, I feel like I was I was lucky in that I knew enough about how you know I came I came into this work after getting out of a sexless marriage, and the the marriage was sexless largely because we didn't understand how sex and depression worked. We just kept oh, yeah. blaming the sexlessness on my depression, and yeah, <laughs> and because. I had that experience. I was able, when I started writing, to always think of anything I was about to say. I, I could stop and think, well, okay, well, how would I four years ago have felt if I read this? Because I would remember reading articles, you know, when I was a newlywed and not having sex. And I would read articles and they would be like, this couple's been married three months. You can imagine how much they're boning. And I would be like, oh, well, that, okay. Well, that feels, now I feel shitty. And like, I was just told my life is wrong. And so just coming into like this work, knowing how much being a depressed person who wasn't having sex and didn't really understand why made me feel crappy, kind of prepped me to not make other people feel crappy, which is something that I'm always very relieved about. I, I, I think slash hope. Yeah, I'm going to say hope with a, you know, emphasis on that, that I've, that I've managed to not make people feel othered. I mean, slash, and I don't think you like have, I think a lot of your stuff sex. sometimes also, also, I, I, I think you do a really good job of, keeping a balance and talking about your experience and being like, Hey, sometimes I fail at sex and it's okay if you do too. And it's like, let's do it together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, for a while, like I go to a lot of conferences and people who follow me on Twitter Frequently, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people who follow me on Twitter, um, or if you get this too, who don't know me well, often want engaging with me to have more of a like sexually charged thing. So like, I'll say something like, I'm at, you know, the blah, blah, blah sex conference. And they'll yeah. be like, and wink, wink, like, nudge, no, nudge, wild weekend, really huh? Into deep shit. Like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, and yeah, those conferences do frequently have like the play party in whoever's room. But I I've started being really open about the fact that, you know, one of my partners, I really mostly see him at conferences and he's become really like an expert at Joellen just finished speaking. We should take her back to the room and put on Bob's burgers so she doesn't have to think for two hours. So basically, and that's if my we sexy conference, conference experience. Together, we should. So anybody listening who wants to hire either of us, we totally to come, should to come and do a talk about either disability or depression <laughs> or disability and depression. Cause we should do, we should do a joint thing. Hey, hire us. Anybody who wants to, Please have Bob's Burgers queued up. <laughs> yeah. Bob's Burgers are Archer. Really, yeah. anything where John Benjamin is doing because the voice, he has like, really, just, he's, really, just he's super attractive. relax. <laughs> I mean, his voice is, like, his voice will make me be, <laughs> it, it speaks to my loins in a way that I can't describe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just everything Do just, you just have relaxes. Any, um, everything's okay. <laughs> funny, awkward, strange stories about de depression and sex that you want to share? Oh. <laughs> My life. No. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, let me think. Funny, awkward, strange. So this is like adjacent and it's more funny right. 
what the hell is wrong with people than funny ha ha ha. But when I launched my, my first survey in, wow, it was 2014, I guess. Um, and that was the survey where we talked to like 1100 people. So that was, that was like the big beginning of all of this. We had, or Stephen always yells at me because I always say it's we, and royalty. really, it's, it's, I, it, it was my survey. Right. I had, <laughs> um, at the beginning, there was demogra- there were demographic questions. And under gender, there was, there was something like 15 to 20 options. I didn't want anybody to look at it and not see their identity as an option, right? I didn't want anybody to look at it and feel right, like right. this was made without them being thought of, right? So there were a bunch of options. And the and the whole time I'm putting this thing up, I'm putting this thing together and I'm so convinced people are going to get mad at me because I am just a sex writer, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor, who am I to be asking people about, you know, depression and psychological things. And then I start getting the angry messages. And the angry messages are, are from cis people who are enraged, enraged that there are all these gender options. Oh, no. And why In doesn't it just say man and woman like it should? Yep. In 2014. Yeah. Yeah, I always joke that that was the day. Yeah. The day yeah. I ran out of fucks to give because... Wow, I mean... Seriously. Now, in those surveys, yeah. I'm curious, and, and if you can yeah. divulge any of that, like, it, whatever you can divulge, if you can, it's okay, but I'll ask anyway. Um, did you encounter a lot of disabled people in the surveys? Did you encounter any disabled people who wanted to talk about depression? Oh. You know, I really should have looked this up because um, I haven't looked at the survey in ages. And I know we asked about comorbidity, like we asked about any other health slash physical issue they would have in their lives. But because we asked about it strictly as a write-in question, I didn't, I don't have numbers on it. I just literally have between eight and eleven hundred individual written in answers. So my answer for you is probably, <laughs> but um, off the top of my head, I really don't know because the ones that are the individual written in answers, I've been um, holding off on dealing with until I get to the precise point in the book where I need okay, well, to, to wade through those surveys, exact answers. And need specific data on, say, disability, let me know. Yes, I think um, because... I'm always getting excited um, about things before their time and before I've finished the, the, the current thing. I'm already thinking about like the next three books. And uh, I, I feel like that that is going to figure into nice. well, if you need you know, a, if you need a something upcoming. <laughs> cough, cough. I'm here. Hey, what? A, um, is there any? <laughs> I can't believe we've been chatting for awesome. almost an hour now. That craziness. Um, and I mean craziness I in a good way, not in the pejorative weird. I always, I always get so uncomfortable when I use <laughs> crazy now because I know how it can be like improperly. Con- well, you know, it's funny. I, I wrote a piece about like not using crazy as an insult. And um, here are all the other options you can use. And it's so, it's such a habit for me to use it as, um, like just a descriptor for um, something being like huge or like out of the ordinary or, you know, so I was I was still using it in, in some contexts. And then I noticed like acquaintances who I had no idea read my site or my family members who I didn't think would ever adjust anything in their lives, self-correcting themselves works. about using the word crazy at all. And I was like, 
Yeah, I was like, wow, if they're all going to do it, yeah, I really have I, to get better about this myself. Right okay. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, especially we are talking about mental health around, like, depression. So, like, so at the minute I said it, I was like, oh, no, I have to fix that right now. Um, but is there anything you, any last thoughts you want people <laughs> to know about regarding sex and depression? Anything you want people to take away from our chat today? Oh, okay. So a couple things quick and dirty. Uh, the world will tell you that <laughs> the world will tell you that depression means means like just by its nature that you do not want to have sex and that that might be true it might not be true take it on an individual case by case basis it's it's all up to you there's a lot of advice out there that tells you that if you're you know not having sex while you're dealing with depression that you should just do it because you might figure out that you wanted to do it whatever don't do that. Instead, focus on making conscious choices, right? Think about how you're actually feeling about sex. Does it sound like it's appealing, but wow, doing things feels difficult right now? Or does it just not sound appealing at all? Because those are really different. And then when you figure out which that, one it is, I mean, talk to your partner about it. Really, that sounds really... Just things like that. Um, again, there's a parallel to disability. There's a thought that if you can have it, you should have it. Because you might not have it again for X amount of time. So I think there's a parallel in like make a conscious choice as say disabled people who might also be dealing with internalized ableism and depression to have the sex if you don't want to or you don't feel you can because of disability or because of maybe disability and depression or whatever it is. It's okay that you can say I don't want to I don't want to do this now. That's not it's all right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I you think you always get to decide. People with disabilities, both invisible and visible, need to hear that more. That we are allowed to say, you know what, my my disability is not, not making me feel super sexy today. I'm gonna withdraw from the actual sex, but let's we can like talk about it, or we can do something else, or. And I think so. I think the expectation to, to be ready to have sex because sex is available. And when we are, I think, invisibly and visibly disabled, sex is, <laughs> is sometimes like a rarity. And so when it does become available, we have to jump on it. And I think what you said about like making a conscious choice to have sex when you're ready is, is really something disabled people need to hear more. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem. I just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of, things that are accepted as, as, you know, not, like wisdom on these things that I think just serve to make people feel like they are A, broken, and B, lucky like that every, anybody would have sex every with them time to I begin fuck with. Somebody, every single and time. I think we even need if to, I've been with them yep. repeatedly, even if we, like, know each other a little bit, yep. and I don't have regular partners, I kind of, I'm kind of still relegated to the one-night stand deal, which is okay, but it's not the greatest. Um... And I always feel like, oh, I should be this. Should, I should be super okay with this. When you're like, sometimes you're like, I'm not okay with this at all. This is weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and none of us are broken, and it's so important to remember that or all the time. You feel broken. I, I, the world I, I hear, wants to I tell I us hear what you're saying, and I agree. But sometimes also, it's okay to feel broken and to say, yeah, you know what? Today I am broken. Today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I, and it, so this is one of my favorite things. One of my I partners says all the time, you get to be where you are when you're there. Yeah. 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 I will never tell you like, buck up. You should feel this way because so it's much. the good way to Joelle, feel. I'm naughty. No, you it get to was, be where you are when the, you're there. It was a really fast hour. And I loved chatting with you. And how can people get a hold of yes. you? Because everybody should be following you on the Twitter. Yes. 
So um, on all of the social medias, I am Joellen Nottie, J-O-E-L-L-E-N-N-O-T-T-E. My website is redheadbedhead.com. And if you want to help me get my book finished, you can support me on Patreon, uh, patreon.com so forward slash Joellen Nottie. And I want to find a way to have you back or work with you. So we'll talk. Thanks so much. Definitely. Thank you. Well, there you have it. There's my interview with the, with Joellen Nati, researcher, sex educator, mental health advocate. I should also mention that she's been on every, pretty much every awesome sex podcast out there. Joellen has done a stint. So I am beyond honored that she agreed to be on my podcast to so openly share her experiences and the linkages between sexuality, depression, and disability. And what I love about it was because when I did the first episode last year where I talked about disability, queerness, and depression. That was coming from a one, like I said earlier, it was coming from a one-note um, perspective, my my ideas around depression and disability. Um, and this really opened my eyes to a whole different nuanced experience around that. And I think people living with depression and living with disability and possibly living with the comorbidity of the two could take a lot from this interview and should really be supporting Joelle and Naughty in the work she does because it's really rare that we talk. We can talk about depression in relationships and we can talk about depression on its own and we can talk about disability on its own uh, and we can talk about sex on its own. It's really rare that we find somebody who is so impassioned to put the two things together. And Joelle Nadi is that person, and she was able to come to this conversation with such honesty that I think we all needed to hear. And I really, really appreciate a discussion on depression in a way that was so full and so thought out and so honest. And I know I say this about every guest. Whenever I have a guest, I say honest. But really, it's because I love sitting and listening to people tell me their stories about disability, about depression, about whatever it is. And seeing how both how much we have in common and both how totally different we are. And Joellen Naughty is proof of, of exactly that. And she is somebody you must follow. So go on to your social media right now and look for her and type her in and follow her and tweet her and, and um, Facebook message her and really just get into her stuff because she and support her on Patreon where you can because it's hard doing this work and she's proof of that and it's it's she deserves all of our support so joellen i want to thank you for being on disability after dark and i want to thank all of you for listening pledging and supporting this little show thanks again we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to this episode of disability after dark the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability if you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crypto Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, Music and audio recordings are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.